0: When people say, why do we do what we do? We offer a great uh, education and rich opportunities to make sure that at 18, Mm -hmm. they're going to have real life chances or choose a career of their choice. And I always make a joke. I say, if they want to go and do Russian dancing, they can go do Russian dancing. But if they want to do dentistry, then they should be able to do dentistry at at, 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 at Russell Group University. They shouldn't have a limitation. We know the way we're going to get them there is at year six, they need to be high standard. That is it.
1: We're about to meet Rashid Ben Sergin, head teacher at Roxbourne Primary School in the heart of Harrow. I was really excited to meet Rashid because he's so inspiring and so charismatic. I first met Rashid about 10 years ago when he was an NQT at another primary school that we had partnered with in the borough of Ealing. I met him 10 years later and he was the head teacher at Roxbourne. I was really inspired by his trajectory as well as his charisma and his enthusiasm for education. Let's sit down and talk with Rashid where we're going to find out so much more about how such a young leader can make such an inspiring impact on the next generation. Come out to my office. But there's lots
0: of people that could do that for you. But if you want to be, if you want a head teacher who's going to say historically free observations a year doesn't work. Mm. We don't believe in free observations. We're going to do weekly observations and coaching. Mm. Not because we want to catch teachers out, but because we want to make them the best they can be. Exactly. And you're going to go, oh, that sounds like you need lots of leadership capacity for that. Well, yeah, you do. You need a coach, right?
1: <laughs>
0: but they're not ready to to jump on that.
1: But it's like if you. Um... If, if you want to play tennis right yeah. or, or you want to you know play the piano or whatever yeah. it is you have a coach yeah right and you get better and better at this over time you mm-hmm. don't get to a point and go oh i'm a professional yeah. tennis player i don't need a coach yeah. anymore so and that's why, why, why that's why education
0: that? paid people paid teachers based on their experience so if you talk for one year you got pay and then mm. you got two years a teacher who taught for 12 years here and 12 years in another school would have been on the same pay mm. which is a ridiculous it's like idea. a stupid idea, but it, it was there. <laughs> it right? worked. It made <laughs> if people you were comfortable. You old, you got paid more. <laughs> if you were young, you
1: got paid less. But it didn't mean that the young
0: guy who was doing great work in his classroom should be paid less than the old teacher who doesn't want to change, who's not actually teaching great, just hasn't been challenged, yeah. and is like rigid and not 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 not, 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 not flexible. But, but that, that that's what that's what the system became. It became you pay people based on their age and experience. You don't pay people based on their performance. When Michael Google at the performance plated pay, everyone mm. went on strike. We like, you <laughs> do you not remember these days?
1: Because <laughs> yeah. this whole thing
0: was like, we need to teach we need to pay teachers based on performance. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. it. Like, yeah. And I agree, like I don't think you can pay teachers based on how much progress they made. But you know somebody who cracks their like you know, gets in they and make works hard. Even if they don't get to their target, you'll be like, yeah. listen, I know how hard you work, like you're going yeah. for a good job. Yeah. Doesn't you don't need to link it to children's progress, where well, some schools start linking it to children's progress. If your kids do make this progress then mm. you can't pay you. So Michael Gove, I'm a bit of a fan, but it's not good thing <laughs> to say out loud. Because he started challenging the whole system. Yeah. Like, you know, he started saying, this doesn't work, like, I'm changing it. I'm, yeah. the, I'm the education secretary and I've got the right to do this and I'm yeah. going to do it. And you can go on strike and cry about it. But why you would you can... keep
1: it the same? If because it's, it's been
0: like that for like 50 years or something i don't that, know but that's
1: complacency yeah, exactly
0: mindset. yeah when you went over to the far east and started asking them about maths teaching people started saying but we're not the far east our cultural makeup isn't the same yes agree but they might have some really great principles that we can take we're not going to bring the whole system over <laughs> well, that's right. that no that's that automatic let's just challenge because it's not
1: yeah it's yeah. like system one thinking it's like straight away this is my response this is yeah. my reaction yeah as I opposed need to, to my this logic defensive as opposed to a thoughtful response yeah it's amazing how much like how much leadership transforms education mm. because you can have uh inspiring leader that and then you can ha- in a really challenging school or a really good school, yeah. and then you can have a not so good inspiring leader in yeah. another school yeah. um, under the same circumstances. But the one with the inspiring leader will make radical change, yeah. whereas other schools can just stay the same
0: and and like become that completely, yeah, become yeah. complacent in yeah. essence, but not be pulled out for it. Right. If the kids don't, you know, the kids are great and they're well rounded and their parents are doing a lot of work at home, mm. you don't have to do much at at school. Where we know schools have struggled. Mm if you don't get it right at school they're going to really fall but that's why that school is even more important than the school in the affluent community
1: and, and is it true that you tell me if this is right or yeah. wrong well, that schools and head teachers can be penalized if they're in challenging communities
0: yeah so there is that the, the, like i'm looking for a headship tomorrow for example mm. am i going to look to a school that's in a challenging community or a school that's in an affluent community my heart says to me go to the school that needs help right because mm. that's where you're going to make the biggest difference but if you know that schools do an offset inspection in 12 months, mm. when you go in and try and do the cycle of improvement or the implement the improvement agenda, mm. are you going to be able to improve it fast enough in that 12 months or are you going to be the head teacher with an RI inspection, although you've only just started the journey? Yeah. And so is that fair? Yeah. But the government is long has protected on that. Knows, yeah. The government have protected that if it goes to forced canonization uh. They're giving schools about two years of no inspection. So you've got two years if you go through Force academisation, a failing school has been told to academise mm. and uh, you've got, you got 24 months to basically get the, get, get the system working again. Mm. Whereas if it's just the maintained school that hasn't gone through force academisation, you don't have that leeway, you just know the inspection will come at the next window yeah. and then you're looking as a leader, do I have enough time to get it to where it needs to be? Is that an incentive? No, because you could be putting your whole career on the line by putting your name on a
1: lot, <laughs> not of isn't right? Yeah. Isn't it? So that's why, you know, you get certain people that don't want to work in certain schools. And Most that's why you have schools. challenges in recruitment. I don't know, it's like a different level of recruitment, yeah. but it's yeah. still like a challenge in recruitment, yeah. right? And it's just...
0: It's so, yeah, I, I think it's hard because the schools that need the best leaders mm. need to attract them right and yeah. how do you track them if your results have been historically low your ofsted isn't great or the outlook doesn't look great mm. and you want a leader to come in and do all of that in essence alone yeah. like it's going to take a lot of responsibility to build a culture and systems and procedures to make that school great again yeah and so there's, t-
1: different leader, there's different leadership styles for different types of schools yeah. isn't there yeah. i think that's an important distinction yeah. to make because yeah. you know some leaders are more geared towards a certain a certain type of school, they're more used to a certain system, a certain way of working which might not work in a different type of school, a different type of community
0: and skill sets, like I, I spoke to a head teacher recently in Ealing and he said to me, this school's good, he was retiring, he goes, this school's good, but he goes, I just can't get it to outstanding. That's not the type of person I am. <laughs> right. I don't have the ideas and the, <laughs> and the bright sparks. I need another head and teacher needs to come in and now take this forward sure. after my retirement. And that was really interesting. So it wasn't just his leadership style, it was like he didn't feel mm. his skill set was to get schools to outstanding. He felt he can get schools from not so great places into Places, yeah. but to get them to good places to great places, he didn't feel he could do that. I, I, but that was him being really self reflective after 70 or uh, 50 years of service or yeah, something. Yeah, um, I love that honesty, right? It's just clarity, it's just clear. <laughs> like, I've done this bit, but I can't do the next run, so right. I need to hand the baton over to somebody. But a
1: lot of people won't give that honesty, They'll yeah, be like, yeah, I'm a good teacher, yeah, I've done yeah. a good job here, and they're kind of like, um, you know toot their horn, mm-hmm. but which is which is fine, mm-hmm. but also it's really, really inspiring to have somebody that is confident to stand out and say, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not so good at, yeah. and recognise their yeah. strengths and weaknesses yeah. so that they can make the change. Yeah. What are, What are your skills as a leader?
0: What are my skill sets? Well, I, I know what they are. Yeah, You're yeah, like Mr. On. Charisma. So, yeah, so they every leader has to have charisma.
1: I, I think I think it's one of the I think it's one of the most fundamental fundamental things that's missing mm. a lot of the time is mm. charisma, right? Mm. Because who is your like most Who is your most memorable teacher in, in mm. school? We did a project on this at GCSE yeah. uh, um, last year. I
0: saw the video on and, LinkedIn.
1: Right, and everyone's like. Yeah, it's my music teacher they inspired me this or my yeah. math teacher was really inspiring yeah. because he came in and did this yeah. and he my history teacher he came in as a Viking one day and he said, Oh hi Do you know what I'm saying? People that stand out, people yeah. that are charismatic. No one ever said, Oh, you know, I had a really inspiring math teacher who who just co- counted numbers all day. Yeah. They counted numbers but in an inspiring way that yeah. made you want to be able to yeah. apply it.
0: And I think So your most inspiring teacher is an interesting one because I think there's a link there between the emotional triggers you have on children. Mm. If you trigger an emotion, there's some research that shows that uh, concentration and attention like triggers, peaks for a a time. And during that moment, you've got an opportunity to really feed children the knowledge, skills, and understanding they need. So I don't know, when I look back, I look back at my secondary school, really like dysfunctional place, Mm. when I think about it as when I was a teenager. And there was one teacher called miss eads and yeah. um, and she was like your strictest math teacher and for some reason she bought some calmness and order and structure to a place that was probably very unstructured and, yeah, and yeah. chaotic and so when you went into her room you just knew that there was going to be some solid teaching because she cared she was going to push and stretch and challenge you yeah. and in sometimes in other classes you didn't get that yeah. focus or um yeah like purpose for learning environment and that although she didn't have any moments of brilliance in a school that was potentially or was chaotic, mm. she bought the calm mm. and that was reassuring I suppose as yeah. a pupil. Yeah. Um, and then you begin to, risk, like, they say children uh, like structure, like they like routine, they want to know what's happening where yeah. and she definitely provided that yeah. and it was like that safe haven in a really yeah. uh, unsafe
1: place it felt I, like. I, I really like this idea of having routine and creativity within the routine mm. and once you can get a fuse that balance between the two of having mm. systems and structures in place and then having the creativity that Mm. goes inside of it Mm. that's when you've got Mm. brilliance and that's when you've got pupil engagement and Mm. you can really take their learning to the next level because
0: I don't think like giving children the best possible life chances, I don't think, is about killing them with reading, writing, and maths. And I think lots of schools that aren't doing well academically mm. just throw reading, writing, and maths in the morning, <laughs> and then they give them more reading, writing, and maths in the afternoon. And I think there is a bit of a culture in schools, a bit controversial, mm. which is the head teacher cares a lot about what happens in the morning and doesn't really care about what happens after lunch. Wow! So it's like the reading, writing, and the maths like, needs to be taught like this, but, but exposed But I've, to... I've,
1: I've, I've really, I've, I've never fully got into this narrative mm. that maths and English should be needs to be taught in the morning mm. in every single school. Mm. Now I believe that, you know, in some schools there's a system and that's what works. Yeah. I don't, don't dispute that. Yeah. But what I think is missing is that there's so much value that children get from being active in the morning, being active cognitively and physically, yeah. whether it be PE, music, art, drama, something creative yeah. in the mornings that stimulates the pulses, gets their brain to a cognitive state of what we call flow, yeah. and then when they go into the mass, it's like, it's right, um, sense. Um, this is where I want to be, and this is where I want to focus for the next forty-five minutes, yeah. hour, as opposed to coming from coming from home where have just had breakfast or whatever, you travel to school in traffic, whatever, and then you've got to go and mash like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. But once you've been active, yeah. it's like I go to the gym most mornings, yeah. right? like four, four mornings a week I yeah. go to the gym, six o'clock, seven o'clock, up yeah. there. Why? Because I want to get my brain in that active yeah. state. Yeah. So yeah, why sense. why is this not thought of? I don't get it. It's so, weird. And the, but I suppose
0: that's why some schools have had like an energetic start to the morning on the playground where everyone does the mile or everyone does like right. a morning workout. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I don't like. I have had challenges at Roxboro from some people saying the school improved a lot last year. Mm. And was it because I made people, teachers, teach more reading, writing and maths? Mm -hmm. And for us, it was the opposite. We'd shortened our mornings that used to be, we used to run until about 12 o'clock or 12.10. We brought them back to 11.40 and 11.50. Um, So we'd cut out 10 to 20 minutes a a day of the mornings, which ends up being about an hour or just above over the week. And Mm -hmm. if you add that up over the year, that's hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, I'm not a believer that if you teach reading, 10 times a week, mm. your kids are gonna be better readers. Mm. You should teach children reading however many times a week you decide as a school, but the quality needs to be there. Yes. So five high quality reading lessons is better than 10 medium quality, not so great reading lessons. And I think there's a lot of like, links to intervention. Sometimes we say, that kid needs to come out of um, PE mm. because they need to go and do more reading. And my big question is, is the reading they're getting initially in class, mm. was that strong enough? Because sure. if that's not good, mm. why are you giving them a top up, like fix where they're getting the reading mm. or fix where they're getting the maths before giving them the extra maths or the mm. extra reading. So I think there is a little bit of we've improved results not by focusing more on core subjects. If anything, we have a less of a focus because mm. our mornings are fairly structured and yeah. we are one of those schools. Mm-hmm. But our afternoons are becoming as structured because we care about what happens in them too. Sure. And so. We've introduced a knowledge-rich curriculum for history and geography. That is becoming a very, like... What did
1: you call that, sorry?
0: Knowledge-rich curriculum. Love so it. this is this is the whole thing about, can you teach children knowledge or skills? Which one's first, which one's second, which one's more important? Lots mm. of argument in education about which is which. <laughs> Why do people There's argue so much about some, it? <laughs> some people are skills-based, some people are knowledge-based. Right? Knowledge is seen as archaic and Victorian. Skills is seen as pioneering and like innovative. And in essence, you need both. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the knowledge probably needs to come before the skills, because without the knowledge, you can't, you can't, can't apply to something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've gone for a knowledge-rich curriculum, which is part of a DfE pilot. And in the afternoons, it means our afternoons are becoming as important, as, as academic or yeah. as rigorous as our mornings. Mm-hmm. Lots of our PE lessons also happen in the afternoons, but we also have some taking place. So we're not a school that says... Art and PE and music can't happen in the morning, they can yeah. happen in the morning and they can happen in the afternoons. But what we want to make sure is that every subject has a clear focus, has some principles of the teaching behind behind the pedagogy, so that it doesn't matter whether it happens at 9am on a Friday or 2 o'clock yeah. on a Monday, they are going to be really high quality lessons because that's what's important.
1: Well, one, of the that, one of the narratives in education that I try to challenge a lot is this like when i was in school there was this narrative that you're either academic or you're artistic you yeah. had to be in one of the two boxes yeah. but actually you can be both yeah. and to be really effective at anything you need both of those skills working yeah. well for you in balance yeah. that works in well with your with with yourself and yeah. your self awareness and your intuition so I think that's really important in terms mm-hmm. of you know it doesn't necessarily need to be just academic. Maths is not just academic. Maths yes. has art in it too. Yeah. Science has art in it too, and yeah. art has science in it. And it's about fusing that balance to produce well-rounded, well-rounded kids essentially.
0: And I, you know, that's probably our purpose. Right, is a child needs to leave primary school, being uh, like having a, ha- having a holistic sort of uh, development mm. um, through their seven or eight years in the primary school, and like what that what does that mean? How
1: would you define that holistic development?
0: Like I would say that is having the academic rigour in, in your traditional subjects, mm-hmm. but also having like clear principles in the teaching of everything else. Yeah. And so when primary teachers sometimes drop art because art is something you can maybe park to the side, or when primary schools don't put as much curriculum time in for computing because computing doesn't have a SATs test at the end of year six where you're you're structuring a school timetable and your curriculum based on what the government assesses and what they what drives league tables. And what we should be doing to give a holistic education is giving those subjects the weighting they deserve Mm -hmm. because of the the, the importance of them in the 21st century. And so does computing still have 45 minutes a week on a timetable, or should it have more? Mm. Is computing a standalone subject, or is it more integrated Mm. through Google Classroom or Office 365 in Mm -hmm. reading, writing, and maths, or in history and geography? Those are questions maybe that we should be talking about today rather than a traditional, you know, computing has always had Fifty minutes a week in a, in a primary school, and you writing. Know compu-
1: do you know what computing was in my secondary school? ICT? Yeah, do you know, do you know what happened in ICT? <laughs> um, go on. <laughs> go on the computer and play Pac-Man. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, was so really I,
0: I think like holistic is academic rigour because if a child is great at PE, mm-hmm. we still need to give them the real life chances they need if they don't make it in PE, right? Mm-hmm. If a child is really great at drawing, then on painting and being creative, mm-hmm. great. But they still need the bare minimums that the country, the government expects peoples to have at eleven, at sixteen, at eighteen. the 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 plan B should always be there. Yeah. And I think sometimes what we've done is said this child isn't academic, like they're gonna just, you know, do lots of GCSEs in th- theatre and, mm. and music and mm. great, right? If they got to that stage, but if they want to be a teacher when they're 21, they're going to have to go back and do their maths GCSE and their sure. English GCSE. So I would say the holistic part is making sure that every child leaves when they're 11 at Roxbourne or in, in, in a primary school and 16 when they're in their GCSEs with choices to be able to study, I don't know, maths at A-levels if that's exactly. what they want to do, but also the choice to Can I go in and, high and yeah, the learning. choice is what's important, I think. Yeah. Like. I got to secondary school, I got to 16, and I was told I couldn't do maths, I couldn't do chemistry, I couldn't do biology, really? I couldn't do because I didn't have the A's and the B's that the school expected me to Isn't have. Like? I had the C's, yeah, I was like the C grade the, same, the Same as me, actually. I was <laughs> and, and I got C high five being right. C's, right? And so basically, I got to do the media studies, mm-hmm. I got to do what else is like Spanish and French because I had some linguistic skills. Um, but i don't i didn't fail when I was sixteen like mm. i didn 't fail my g c s e year in year eleven yeah I failed way before that because my trajectory from primary school probably didn't put me on the right path yeah because you don't fail when you're 18. you 're eighteen you't't you don't not get to go to university at a levels because you were a bad eighteen year old at school you weren 't very right. academic or you didn 't study hard. Everything before that is what counts right yes, yeah. and so one of the things we talk about at Roxbourne that I've showed our staff is what's the trajectory for a child who leaves Year Six on the expected standard because we have a responsibility for them not when they're eleven but when they're eighteen. Yes. Because I don't want them to come back to me when they're eighteen and say, "Sir, I wanted to be an a, I wanted to be a pilot, but I couldn't get into um, university because I didn't have physics and chemistry. Why? Because at GCSEs my science wasn't strong enough. Why? Because yeah. at Year Six science I, I didn't leave. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't leave Year Six with the with the skills, and knowledge, and understanding to be great at science. So it's it's starts when they're 3 and 4 yeah. and 5 and 11 and 16 so I've got a really big link in my head between 11 16 and 18 Love it. and my aim is that when a child's 18 they have real-life chances and real-life chances mean if they want to study medicine at LSC, mm-hmm. they should have that opportunity Absolutely. but if they want to study I don't know, sports science at St. Mary's is sure. where I studied, that's okay too. Absolutely. But what we shouldn't do is say you can only study sports science at St. Mary's because you've got some you know, C's at A level right. and you can't do medicine at LSE because or at as UCL because you don't have the A's and B's at A level. That child then doesn't have the, the opportunity and I oh, see it as choice. like this. So like when you're 18, your opportunity should be as wide as possible because yes. then you can choose what you want to study and you can choose where you want to go yes. or do anything else with your life. Yes that's your choice, and that's, that's,
1: our, yeah. that's our right.
0: And not get to 18 and be in this position where I've got some grades, which means I can study some things in some places mm. and, my, and, my, and my options are narrow, which is why I feel like I found myself. So my options were narrow mm. and my choices of where to study were narrow. Is so that what inspired
1: your, you to be a head teacher?
0: What inspired me to be the head teacher, I think, was when I was probably doing my work experience and I went into a school and I realised that. You talk about work experience at GCSE level. Yeah, GCSE level. So, your your standard, like nine days of work experience, which is meant to give you the the right skills to, to to be a great employee of the future. I spent it in a primary school and that was sort of my first trigger. I was like, yeah this this is this is enjoyable. I'm good around kids. Mm-hmm. like we I can make something happen of this. When I looked into education, it sounded like there was a big shortage of males, mm-hmm. ethnic ethnic minority males, particularly um, ethnic minority males from maybe you know challenging backgrounds, which mm-hmm. is what I've classed myself as. Um, and so that was sort of the planting of the seed. When I got to eighteen, I knew I wanted to do education, so mm-hmm. I just did the undergraduate in primary education and at twenty one became an NQT. I didn't know if I wanted to be a head what, teacher.
1: What was your role when you were? Sorry to interrupt. Go. What was your role when you were at St. Vincent's? Because we, I met you when you were yeah. at St. Vincent's and you yeah. just started working there. Yeah. And then you were doing something in the office, and then I came yeah. here, and I, it was like, oh, hi, I'm a head teacher. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what
0: I was doing in the office. So I started. I started St. Vincent's as uh, an NQT, and I, my first year I taught French and computing. Yes, in my I NQT year. Yeah. And that's where I started, and that's where I met some of the JNC team, when, when you guys, I think you were still at the early days too. 2009. Um, yeah, mm. so 2007 to 2011 when I was, at, was, was when I was at St. Vincent's. And when I think when I was there, great school, mm. you know, it does lots of great things for kids. When I was there, I realised, I think, that I was wasted because actually those kids were, you know, generally okay. Their mums mm. and dads were happy, The community was together, they had really strong Christian values. Mm and i felt that i was if i was there if i wasn't there it wasn't going to change anything for those kids right. and actually i feel like i had a calling from like where I grew up. Mm. And after four great years at St. Vincent's, really great time, um, I decided to move into the, an inner city school and academy um, because I wanted to give children similar to my background the chances that they deserve. Mm. That perhaps I was limited on, but mm. still got through. But I know lots of my friends didn't get to that opportunity. They didn't, they didn't get there. Yeah. Um, and I've got too many friends who are unemployed or abroad doing not great things um and all we like you know in in london not doing great things either mm. and we know the challenges of being a young person in london particularly at this current time um and so my big thing was when i started st vincent's i was like you know this is i'm i'm, I'm good at this job I can see myself going far and I set mm. myself a target mm. because, you know me being me. I set myself a target being by 30 I'll be a head teacher and I was 21 at the time. Like. And set. so literally that was that was what I started to map out in my life. I was a bit like to become a head teacher, what do I need to do? Sure. And I knew I had my own limitations mm. back then, you know, somebody starting out with maybe some, you know, big a bit a big head. Um, <laughs> and, and 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 I set out like I knew I needed my first TLR, I knew I knew I needed to then go into a higher TLR, which Teaching learning responsibility at yeah. management point. Um, and then I knew I needed to go into a, se- a senior role, probably starting at assistant headship, deputy yeah. headship. And then so I started thinking if I'm going to get this by 30, mm. I need to be really making some, How I need f- to be really intentional about what I do and where I work. Yeah. You're not going to get there by it happening to you, you need to be a driver, right? And so, at St. Vincent's, I already knew that in a Catholic school, as a non-practicing Catholic, like, I wasn't gonna go anywhere. So, (laughs) I got my first CLR there, started leading history and geography, which was really great, There's lots of traveling at the time for for, for, for that leadership role, Um, and then I knew that my next jump had to be in another school. I also did a lot of research as to, like, what do schools look for? Is it 10 years in one school, or is it three years um, or nine years in three different schools, you know, wow. three, three, and three. Yeah. So I started thinking really carefully about what I needed to do to develop myself and to make sure I had the right skills to present to somebody one day and say, I think I'm a, a nearly a finished piece, right? And so um, my biggest decision, I'd say, in my journey was joining a, a leading academy in, in a London, part of a big map. Yeah. And the reason why I think that transformed my development was because I think in that four years of my initial teaching, I was told I was I was good. You're great. You mm. no one really came to check up on me because I was doing good things in my classroom. It wasn't challenging enough? Yeah, for you. it wasn't challenging enough. Mm. I was running like an island. They mm. say great schools aren't built with lots of islands. You know, a classroom should be part of a big piece of land, not lots and lots of islands doing their own thing. It uh, needs okay. to be much more joined up. Mm. So I feel like I was asking lots of questions of myself in my classroom, mm. and the school were really happy with me, which mm. is great. Lots of freedom, lots of trust. But actually, I potentially wasn't empowered. I wasn't I wasn't able to develop it myself. Yeah, Whereas was it's limited any- isn't it it's like a was there complacency, complacency
1: um complacency like not self-inflicted complacency yeah, but like, because you're not being challenged I think as the
0: organisation was always doing well it always sat at the top 10 mm-hmm. it was quite like settled and established mm-hmm. and um, I wouldn't say the school was complacent mm-hmm. but I would say there was probably elements of we're good at what we do and we'll just keep doing what we do sure. and if you keep doing what you do you always get what you got right, right. and you need to <laughs> start thinking about Top 10 maybe isn't good enough. What's mm. top one? How do you get to top one? Why uh, is top one important,
1: right? You, you were very intentional about setting your goal that like you want to be a head teacher yeah. at 30. How rigorous were... It sounds like you were very intentional about it. How rigorous were you in terms of setting those goals and reviewing them? Like, how rigorous were you in terms of reviewing them?
0: I think my next job after the St. Vincent... So, in 2011, I joined a, a big mat. Mm. And I think I didn't realise... I didn't know what I didn't know until I joined this mat. I mm. thought four years into the profession, I'm doing well, my school respects me, you know, they didn't want me to leave, trying to keep me, saying, like, you know, you've done a great job. Mm. I joined a mat that was like, yeah, you know, you've done some good work, but we're not about that, we're about, like, that. We're, we're trying to do the impossible, we're trying to be the outlier. Mm. And I didn't even know what that meant. I just like <laughs> going, yeah, but I'm a good teacher. Yeah, right. And I think joining joining that mat, I think, made me realise how many gaps I had. Mm. And I didn't know that, no one told me my gaps, you know, yeah. everything was really great and, mm. sure. and, then I, and I was doing super work. And so when I joined this mat, I realised that there was a real long way to go. But I knew I was in an organisation that was going to make it happen. I knew they were going to uh, resource and develop and give me time mm-hmm. to be the greatest leader I could be. Yeah. And so I joined them as a mass lead uh, on my first year. And by the fifth year, I was a deputy head. Mm. And every year, my role changed, in essence, partly because there was lots of opportunity in the school and it was growing and enlarging, mm-hmm. but partly because they saw I was tapping into all of the the resources they were throwing at me. And I suppose that's what I've tried to bring to Roxbourne is that great schools aren't built through chance, great schools aren't built um, because the leader happens to be a nice guy. You need to be really intentional about how you develop your team. Mm. And so we've tried to include, for example at Roxbourne, historically we've spent about seven grand on staff training and development and just since September to now, so Mm. we're only about what seven months into the academic year, we've spent over 20,000 pounds. So we've like tripled our expenditure on development. In not even an like academic, year, And that's because if you don't invest in your team, they're mm-hmm. never going to be the people that you want them to be. They're never going to be able to be leaders in their own little ways mm-hmm. and leaders in their own little areas of responsibility. I think my last school taught me a lot about people are gonna do greatness when you empower them and when mm-hmm. you give them, they, they, there's, there's the three circles of like accountability and uh, authority and then um, like uh, capability or something. Right. If somebody's capable and you give them authority and you hold them accountable, they're okay. gonna go on and do great things. Okay. If, you, if, you, if they're really capable, but you don't give them the authority to make decisions mm. um, and you don't hold them to account, they're going to get a bit lost and disillusioned, right? And so, one of the things I question myself and my team and, and the wider team at Voxborne is are we giving people, are we making people the, the most effective they can be? Mm. And when they're there to develop them as leaders, are we giving them the, those three facets to make sure that they can go on and champion the things they're really passionate about mm. in their areas of responsibility? I think my last school had a profound impact on me in that way that yeah. it was really about once you're flying, like we're going to push and challenge mm. you, but if you need the support, we're going to hold your hand and make sure you're there and, you're, and we're going to get you there. And I think in education, everything I think lots of it is left to chance. It's yeah. a bit like, oh, you're a great leader, like let's promote you, but that's driven by you and not driven by the organisation. Right. I think the organisation has a big responsibility to play in that journey. What do you mean by um, that? I think there's a big commitment from me to all of my staff mm. about how I train and develop them. Sure. And I think sometimes that's just been left to chance. So yeah. I think staff have just been told do a good job. Mm. And yeah. they might not know how to do a good job or they yeah. might not have been supported or trained and developed. And I think when, why, when I look at our training and development programme, we've done some things this year where it's not just CPD for s- teaching staff, we now have introduced CPD for support staff within the school day. Mm. Because how is one gonna get better if you're not showing them how to that well we well, talk about learning for children yeah. all the time
1: yeah and we talk about growth mindset and yeah. continuously growing and it's so important for teachers to do the same and to continuously grow to get yeah. to the next level yeah. because there's no there's, there's no ceiling on it yeah. right you're always learning new things that you can be able to implement one of the things that I wanted to touch on is to ask you what's mm. your thoughts on teachers that start teaching very young yeah um, let's say 21 without having having much industry experience outside of teaching. What are the strengths of that? And what are, if there are any, what are the the challenges of that? And then how do we overcome those challenges in education? So that's
0: me. Mm. Um, Entered Education 21 Mm. uh, and really just sort of did some part-time work at university. Mm. Um, And I think the strength of that, or the strengths, I think the big strength for me, I think, is that generally you end up with somebody who's decided they wanted teaching probably not quite that. young yeah so you've got a workforce that has said they want to be teachers from day dot mm. and not potentially which is the other which is the other option which is like you graduate, you look for a job, mm. worst case scenario, mm. you don't find a job, mm. and then what you do is you go, Do you know that PGC thing? It looks quite good.
1: Apparently after a year you get a job. <laughs> and, and 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 also that thing of yeah, we get 13 weeks holiday. Brilliant. <laughs> so
0: you get 13 weeks holiday, you get a guaranteed job. And I think that not no disrespect to anyone on a PGC, mm. but I don't know, I think the strength of somebody going in from A level straight to teaching, I think somebody's made a, a decision. Quite early on, and they're probably going to stick to that. That's like something that's been fixed. And I suppose if it's made, if the decision's made later, and that's not a problem, Mm -hmm. you potentially have lots of career changes and things like that. Is it something they really were bought into? Was it convenient? Mm -hmm. I think during the financial crisis, some statistic around so many people retrained to become teachers (laughs) because there weren't enough jobs in the city, and there were there there was a need for people to teach. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like there is that. Um, the limitation, I suppose of, of of coming straight in from university is you do not really have any uh, industry experience. Mm. Um, and it's probably my limitation, and I probably would find it hard to unpick what that limitation is because I haven't don't know what it is. I don't know what I don't know.. Right? You don't know what doing, um, yeah. And so, um I think, yeah, I think that that is potentially uh, a challenge that if people are coming in straight in from university into teaching, what are they missing from the industry that they could bring into the the profession? I do think education has moved on a lot, though. I think education Mm. started to look at, particularly leadership, I think it started to look at what makes great organizations, not what makes great schools, just mm. organisations. Like mm. let's stop referring to schools as schools, let's refer to them as organizations. Mm. What makes a great organization that sells phones and what makes a great organization that builds planes and what makes a great organisation that actually teaches children. Mm. Because behind all of that essentially is really, really strong leadership, yes. A really clear purpose. Simon Sinek's video about the why. Yeah. So Brilliant. like the why it's starting with the why mm-hmm. in the golden circle, not starting with what you do. Because mm-hmm. a lot of us say, what do you do? Yeah, We teach kids, okay? Right. Why do you teach kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know, to give them a good future? Mm-hmm. Like maybe? So, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a part-time answer, yeah. right? and so we've done some work at Rocks, One it's like, why are we here? Why do we do what we do, mm-hmm. right? And what we came up with as a school is, we're here because we want to give children when they're 18, not mm. when they're 11. Mm. And this is what everyone keeps getting confused about. like, Why is a primary school talking about 18? Mm. Because 18 is really where they're going to make their own life choices. Absolutely. And 18 is where they're going to have some big decisions to make around university or a career of their choice. And so our new vision that we're working on is around, I can recite it to you, mm-hmm. because that's what a vision should be. Love it. Um, so together we will provide a transformational education and rich opportunities, which, in, which ensure pupils are able to access any university or career of choice. Mm. The reason why we've put that together is because when people now say to us, why do we do what we do? Mm. We aim high, we don't aim at the expected standard anymore. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the expected standard is there and that's what the government holds us to account on. Sure. But that's average. That's like me getting a C at GCSE. Right. Is that going to change my life? No, it isn't. And why, in why do essence, you want right? to be average? And why do you be average, and average is everyone, right? right? And so if we're going to give our children real life chances, then we need to give them the A's and B's at GCSCs and A levels mm. so that they can go and do whatever they want to do. Yeah. And what does that mean in year six? That means they need to be what we're in the primary we would refer to as the highest standard in the SATS. Yeah. If they are the highest standard in the SATs, their trajectory, they've got a 94% chance. Mm. Some research we've done at Roxbourne, yeah. they've got a 94% chance of getting five A stars to C's. They've got an over 50% chance of getting an A star and A or a 9, 8, or 7 yeah. in a new grading. And if we can give those children an over 50% chance of getting those top grades, then we've put them on the great flight path, right? And that is what's really, really important. So when people say, why do we do what we do? Mm -hmm. We offer a great uh, education and rich opportunities to make sure that at 18, Mm. they're going to have real life chances, or choose a career of their choice. And I always make a joke. I say, if they want to go and do Russian dancing, they can go and do Russian dancing. But if they want to do dentistry, then they should be able to do dentistry at, 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 at Russell Group University. They shouldn't have limitation we know the way we're going to get them there is at yes six yeah they need to be high standards and I love that
1: I love that definition of gives them the choice yeah because that, that that's what education is really mm. about there's a lot of narrative around um, transferable skills now mm-hmm. in the workforce mm. and transferable skills are so requ- so required now mm-hmm. so much more than before you know it's not the same sort of thing where. People stay in the same kind of job for 20 years. That's not common now. Yeah. Um, Average person changes job every 4.2 years and changes career altogether. So we need these transferable skills in order to be able to walk into a different industry and actually be able to master it. Yeah.
0: I think those, in my senior leadership team, we've done some work on great organizations Mm. and I think. Just talking about other companies and other yes. institutions takes us out of schools. I, I love which is that really because, because
1: there's a real regimental kind of fixation around. Well, schools operate like yeah, this, and schools should be like work. this. But yeah. we're not an organisation, or we're not a business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But actually, as you say, leadership is leadership is yeah. leadership, and all of these uh, these contributing skills contribute to be yeah. able to make the school great. Yeah. And we talk about, and you were speaking earlier about yeah. outliers. How do you? Well, you can just stay there and stay flatline and go. Yeah. Okay, well, we're a good school, whatever yeah. it is and sort of like get complacent with yeah. that or get comfortable with yeah. that, which is fine. But if you want to step out of the barrier and you yeah. really want to take learning to the next level, yeah. you have to do something transformational, yeah. you have to do something radical, you have yeah. to do something different.
0: And when we when we wrote our vision we spoke about B Hags and yeah. so big hairy audacious girls yeah. and we we, were who, so who did you
1: who did you get that um Get your sort of system from was it um, was it, uh, good so it was, to great or was it something? It
0: was, it was a built to last. Yeah, but yeah. So it was all about if you're going to set yourself a goal, set yourself a crazy goal yeah. and work towards it, as yeah. long as it's not unachievable, like mm. within the medium to long term. Mm. And I think. As a, for a team, like that is not a school thing to mm. talk about. And some sure. people look at me and say, what are you talking about, hags? Like, what's, mm. where's this guy landed from? Right? <laughs> I love it. Um, but in essence, if you're gonna be the outlier, you need the hag. You yeah. can't have, we're gonna give kids a great education and make sure they're happy. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, when you dig into that, what does that mean? Yeah. I can tell you what giving them access to university means. I'll yeah. start telling you about the, the flight path from year six to, to A-levels. I yeah. can start telling you about why academic vigour is important, but why we need to develop the whole child. I I need to be able to make sure that when our children are 16 or 18, mm. they're not gonna only be able to do a test really, really well and yeah. show their knowledge, skills, and understanding. They need to be able to have a conversation with people around mm. the table. They need yeah. to be able to talk to somebody who, who's, who's, who goes skiing every year, and yeah. maybe our kids don't get to go skiing, but they need to be able to um, uh, function in a world where even with their limitations, like there's some mechanisms they've learned and there's some skills and experiences they've learned that will sure. at least give them access to that forum yeah. or, that, or, or, or that place.
1: One of the things Um, that I wanted to touch on, one thing I wanted to touch on in the conversation was how do you find it in terms of leading a team which is probably... The average age is probably a lot older than you. And did, mm. did you make it? Did you make it, head teacher? At so at thirty-one, I was into. <laughs> <head. laughs> well, well done! You set the goal and you and, and so you. So thirty-one, you I was interim head. Missed yeah. it by yeah. yeah and interim,
0: so not sure if interim counts.
1: I was, it counts. It counts. We'll take it. I think, so. We'll take it. So as a head teacher at thirty-one, how yeah. like what challenges did you face, and how did you overcome them in terms of leading a team? or mm. Much older so, than you. Because as you can imagine
0: yeah, so I think like in my first school, I think it was like that would never have happened mm-hmm. the, the, the the pioneering organization I went to school I went to in my sort of my next six year stint, um, like the leadership was young, the workforce was quite young, mm-hmm. and okay. it was quite acceptable and normal mm-hmm. to 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 be a senior leader in a school in your thirties, mm-hmm. and that is generally seen as quite young yeah. in education. And so I think I was, again, I think I chose the school well, and so I was in a school that was going to give me lots of training and development, but it's also going to be okay to say, you can be 29 and be a deputy head, like, that's okay. Because it's not about your age, it's about what you are able to have an impact on, right? And so it's nothing to do with, are you 29 or are you 50? There are 29-year-olds who are great deputies, and there are 50s who aren't great deputies, and there's 50s who are great deputies and 29-year-olds who aren't great. It happens both ways around, right? And so I think for me, it's really clear to, for me to, to, to reassure myself that the, 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 my, my skill set mm-hmm. is no worse than anybody who's been teaching just because they've been teaching longer. Mm. There's a good little quote out there that experience is nothing without the refinement and reflection. And so if you've got 50 years of experience and you haven't reflected, then you Mm -hmm. might not be in a great place. Mm -hmm. If you've got nine years of experience and you've been rigorously reflecting and refining and improving and challenging Mm -hmm. yourself, then you're gonna be in a really great place. And I would say that when I joined Rocksborne, it was probably really weird for the organisation that a 30 year old was gonna be the head um, but I think for me, I was, I was confident in myself and what I'd, be, what I'd experienced yeah. in my lead-up to the role that I knew I was going to be effective, I knew I had the skill set, I knew I had... I don't like to use experience because I think it's a fluffy word, I, mm-hmm. feel like I knew I had the right training and development to make sure that I was going to be successful in this role that and obviously proved that to the panel yeah. at, or, on the day. So I think the organization was probably more in shock than I was. How has that manifested itself like in day to day? Mm. I think people quickly realized that the right person was doing the job. And so you um, automatically feel reassured that everything's going to be okay. Um, I suppose the school wasn't a great place and I gave it some stability and steer and direction. And so that meant that, again, that was really reassuring for them as an organization, especially where... It was, you know, it was a bit unstable, yeah, and, and people
1: weren't sure what was going on. And you strike and, me as someone that is very charismatic, very yeah. dynamic, very encouraging, um, and also very clear yeah. and very firm about what it is that you want and how you're going to get there. So I feel, I feel like you have that, that perfect balance almost of that charisma, that engagement, that that passion to want the better people, but also the effectiveness and the the clarity to go this is what's happening and this yeah. is how we're gonna do it, that authoritarian approach as well. Yeah, I think
0: I think we've gone into a bit of um what's the word? Like a coercive type of leadership where mm. it's sort of just do as I tell you to do because we weren't in a place where I could go around and consult and ask lots Mm. of people. And that has like impacts on morale, but it gives us some structure and it gives us some organization, which is what we needed. Mm. And we've probably been in that phase for probably about 12 months now because um, uh, David Carter, I think I mentioned this to you yeah. uh, recently. David Carter speaks about the four phases of of, of, of a school's sort of improvement journey. Mm-hmm. And phase one is basically, if it's broken, where, what would you do, you know? Yeah. Um, and what does the organization feel like? Mm-hmm. And it can be quite an unsettling place that you've come in, you've identified what needs to happen, you're not asking many questions mm-hmm. about what's gonna happen next, you're just going to tell people this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and just trust me that these are going to get the improvements that we need and then we'll sort of think about and refine that as we go forward. So um, I've sort of tried to be really clear about what we're trying to achieve as a school, always brought it back to what the kids have been doing. I've been quite direct Mm -hmm. about what's happened in the past isn't good enough, and that's okay as long as we can gather together, regroup and and move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, The school had about 50% of its children were moving into secondary school at the expected standard in reading, writing, maths to me that's 50% of people passing, 50% of people failing. Like, sure. That is, means that in, when they're 16, 50% of that cohort aren't going to be where they need to be because sure. data tells us that, mm-hmm. research tells us that. And so I, I was really, very clear about that. Mm-hmm. But we were also clear that in raising expectations, in improving our school quickly, there is going to be extra time. We've sort of built in some uh, some time for our teaching staff to be able to manage with those changes. We've built, we've tried to improve our training and development program to make sure that they feel equipped with the skills they need to move teaching. I, I think it wouldn't be great if I said we were here, we need to be here and you just need to be here. But like, you start giving them the
1: tools, right? So you've and given yeah, them the tools to precisely to, to take that. And hopefully
0: up. the conditions as an organisation like that we've set mean that people feel they can, you know, come and ask for help. That yeah. I've always tried to say that coming to me and saying to me I need help with something isn't a bad thing. It's a it's a, positive. a powerful yeah. thing, yeah, absolutely. And having um, the confidence
1: to do that is Is really helpful. Yeah,
0: uh, that comes with trust, that comes with the culture and the ethos. That doesn't happen overnight, like. But hopefully, we're getting to the stage where mm. I'm stuck can you help me. Yeah. I made a mistake. Sure, or I need to talk to you about it. And owning up okay. to that is so That's powerful. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. What What exciting things are you working on here at Rothwell at the moment?
0: Lots. <laughs> <laughs> so lots. Um, so we've done some work. So we uh, we've uh, engaged with Doug recently. We've sent some staff off to Doug Lamov's um, check for understanding training. Oh, he was wow. in London recently. Um, and so we've had some staff going on that. The reason why I mention him is because. Um, his Teach Like a Champion uh, book is great, yeah. but we've also been doing some work on his Reading Reconsidered book, okay. um, which is how we teach reading. Lots of primary schools teach reading in a in a sort of carousel model, where yeah. the teacher meets a, ch- a group once a week, mm-hmm. and he basically says we should reconsider the way we teach reading, because like, maybe that potentially way is not the right way. Yeah. Um, and so we've been doing a big piece of work on transforming the way we teach reading, so we don't have a carousel anymore. Mm-hmm. We teach reading like we teach Maths and English, whole class, teacher at the front, Like let's let's do some work together, Mm -hmm. um, and not the carousel. And so we've done some good work on reading. Um, We've partnered up with we're partnering up with Mathematics Mastery, which is an organisation that again wants to transform mathematics teaching in the UK, taking it away from the whole thing that, oh, we're not a really great nation in maths, all or right. mum says to child, I'm not good at maths, like you're like me, yeah. and stopping that, culling that, and saying, we're all, we can all be great at maths. Great we can something. all be, yeah, we yeah. can all, it's not a thing. Mm. So um, we're doing some work with them, we're starting up with that. Um, we've done some really great work on um, leverage leadership, the coaching model, so this is again, if you observe, the part of it that we're focusing on is coaching and observation, yeah. if you observe a teacher um, three times a year, which mm-hmm. is what basically English state education has been like for yeah. maybe a long yeah. time. Um, that means you get feedback three times a year in mm-hmm. your, I know, in, in like an official observation. Yeah. Is that enough to make you a high performing teacher? My answer would be no, yeah. I don't know what I would say. Um, and so this coaching model is around observing teachers every two weeks mm-hmm. in our school, but it could be every week in other schools, yeah. and that's what the, how the program is structured, where you do short observations, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and then the follow-up is a coaching of, or, or, um, a coaching conversation where you support the teacher to f- identify their one action step that yeah. they're gonna work on to for the next, forward. to move it forward. Yeah. And then in two weeks time, we review the action step and we set another one. That teacher is improving every two weeks, right? Mm. In theory, yeah. in, in their observation and the other teacher in school B potentially is improving every 12 weeks. Which teacher's gonna be effective? This is a bit like my leadership journey. Are you refining and improving fast, or are you refining and improving over 20 years, just a bit slower? Do you get to the same end point?
1: This is incredible because I've read both those books, um, Teach Like a Champion and Leverage Leadership, and you're the first person I've ever come across that. Not only read it, but implemented it very clearly and very intentionally throughout the school yeah so yeah so so,
0: so i'll put my hand up and say we're getting to the embedding stage yeah i love it um but that is the journey right you're going from and that takes a lot of leadership time and capacity Mm -hmm. And so that is a commitment to our staff and those, those observations hopefully are not judgmental, they're yeah. not designed to be, they're, supportive. they're completely supportive, mm. completely developmental, and it's okay to say to me, don't come and watch me every two weeks in the, sub- in the subject I teach really well, yeah. come to the subject I'm struggling in because so that's that where are going to make your great. Yeah. If it's judgmental, teachers are going to ask you to come to teach the lessons you want, they want you to see, right. and that's not going to help anyone, it's not sure. going to help the kids and it's not going to help them. And uh, so we really want to get to a stage where teachers say, "I don't know, I don't know where to start with this, yeah. you know, history unit. Happy Can you come me. for the next
1: coaching session?" How's happen? Thomas and Chris getting on with that?
0: Thomas, oh. we're starting to move it over slowly. So okay. Thomas is like, we've started off with our in-house team, mm-hmm. um, and so Thomas and Chris like probably haven't has has not hit them yet. Yeah. Um, but it will definitely be something we want to like pull together because again, another thing is is like, is Roxwell going to be a great organisation or an outlier? Mm. If it doesn't, if it's not intentional, only it's in its own staff, but also in everybody that it works with. Yeah. Somebody told me recently, like, your the team who arrive in your school should look the same as your team who work in your school, right? Mm. And so your externals and your internals should there should be no difference in pedagogy, Symmetry. in in expectations. It should be quite seamless. Okay, mm. they might look different physically, but hey. Yeah. Um, and so, a bit like, you know, there's another thing that, you know, somebody walks into the foyer shouldn't know the difference between the head teacher and the TA. I love like that. The two male guys yeah. in the school, there shouldn't be, he must be the head, he's wearing a blazer. Right. And he must not be the head because he's not, not wearing a blazer. Like, sure. those sorts of things in organisation need to be constant and, and, and the same. I like that. Um, and so, yeah, it hasn't hit uh, the specialist teachers in the same way that, yeah. that, 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 it's, that it's being implemented with our teaching staff. Um, And it's going to be refined and it's going to be reviewed and we're going to see what what works best. But in essence, what we're moving to or what we are started started already is we're going to improve every two weeks for observation. And when that big high stakes observation happens, the big mm. appraisal one, yeah. like even if it doesn't go well, that's okay because we've seen you improving doing this. Yeah. I don't want to see you do this, observation day, do that, yeah. and then for 12 <laughs> weeks go back to where you are, observation yeah. day, Like mm. it should mm. be a consistent Constant improvement. improvement. Yeah. And that is probably how you're going to create an organization that is continually refining and improving because mm. It's the culture you set
1: within yeah. the school. It's not where you start. It's been, yeah. yeah, I love it, Rashid. It's been yeah. an absolute sorry, pleasure it's speaking with you. Sorry, <laughs> I know, Just I love being it. Straight into it. So well, yeah, um, no, it's perfect. Absolutely, good. absolutely thank gold. You. Thank, thank you for, you for coming. So, no pleasure. Um yeah, it's really. I've I, I
0: like secretly you tracking your sorry, your, you say, your progress. Sorry, so you,
1: you sounded like you were from the countryside, and really? you said thank you for coming. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and then the I'm camera's thinking. gonna go on and be like yeah bro safe man respect peace that was decent didn't it? <laughs> but i love the fact that we're able to have that conversation and we can just like we can be ourselves and just like as you say go into a boardroom yeah. of governors or whatever it is and speak the way that they expect to be spoken in a yeah. way that which is clear and transcends yeah. that community and also go you know to wait where, where, where they're from and communicate with whoever's on the street yeah, and, and not connect so in a way that man,
0: he's changed now he's not one of us anymore right know? he's left
1: the area right <laughs> so. right because i think one of the big things that's happening now which i'm really fascinated by everything is coming like everything is connecting together a lot even like with the music that the mm-hmm. new generation are coming up with mm-hmm. you know young people like notes young mm-hmm. bane all of these mm-hmm. popular artists they're and stormzy and so on they're communicating in their language in a way in which is connecting with a mass audience yeah. which i find really really interesting inspiring and incredible.
0: Yeah, so, yeah it's uh, yeah, it was really helpful yeah. Thank you.